Now let's take the offering. <laughs> Woo! Thank the Lord. <laughs> Ron, what a joy to be under your ministry this week. Aren't you appreciative of this guy? Man. I love it. Absolutely love it. And to be with uh, Dr. and Mrs. John Juneman. I'm so thankful for them and for their ministry. They're bedrock here, but I think you should give them a round of applause. All they're just wonderful. I've learned from you. You learn something from uh, everyone that's really gifted like that, and, uh, but John is exceptional. And beyond even his exceptional expository Bible preaching, uh, you know, one of the gifts he has that uh, is just, I was really trying to pick something up from is the way he brings the message into the invitation. And it just, I mean, such skill. You know that uh, I really regret the fact that a lot of revivals and camp meetings are going away and we have lost more than what we realize when these have gone away. And one of the things that we've lost is those that do this full time like an evangelist does and learn how to preach great messages and learn how to draw the net and bring great altar calls and invitations. Those guys modeled that for pastors all around the country. We didn't learn that in seminary. Nobody taught us how to do that in the classroom. We learned that if we're of my generation and older at least, uh, we learn that from watching great people do it. And I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to watch uh, John and, and observe and be a part of that. And then uh, also uh, Dr. Cockrell, uh, Gary Cockrell, I mean, what a, what a prince of a Bible teacher. Give him a round of applause too as well. Thank you, thank you. And thank you for keeping this camp open. Thank you for, for, for inviting me, but uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, you know, uh, this is a tremendous benefit to me. I, I enjoy it. It's helped me spiritually. Um, but thank you for keeping this open year after year after year. You are doing more good than you know. You're helping people in these events come to know Jesus, be discipled, go back, and you're refueling churches everywhere you go. I mean, it's awesome what you do. You're also modeling for pastors and laymen what it means to be a disciple and modeling how to do ministry. You're training the next generation what kind of church you want to see in the future. I mean, it's amazing what this can do. And you've done it for such a long time. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen without great leadership, and you have a great board, and, but uh, Matt Brooks is the president. One more time, thank him for this camp meeting and for all that he's doing. Thank you, sir. Uh, not my role to do this. Nobody asked me to do it, but I, you know why I do it? Not because I feel like anybody expects it or because I think it's something that ought to be done. I feel it right here. <laughs> I really do. This is a, such a benefit. And uh, thank you so much for being here this morning and throughout the week. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And uh, those who are in the Bible study know that uh, Dr. Gary has been teaching from this. I missed the section I'm going to do, so I may get uh, some of it uh, not as well as he did it. Every place that uh, you ever heard Dr. Gary say something that was different, believe him and not me, and uh, take his word over mine. Uh, but I feel like the Lord put this on my heart for this morning, and I wanted to share it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It seems so appropriate in a celebration service to have this passage of Scripture 
uh, be uh, the uh, conclusion, and especially in light of the kind of teaching we've had. Let's stand in honor of God's word, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3 this morning. This is one of the most densely packed passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. It is uh, a wonderful book, and uh, I'd like for us to read it and just drink it in, just the reading of it, and then we'll look to God for help in in expounding on it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God, and everybody should say amen to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. My Father, thank you for this passage. Help me to preach. Help us to hear. Thank you, Lord, for all that's taken place. And now, Lord, in these remaining minutes of this campground, at this camp meeting, we pray that you would help us to hear your word, and to be encouraged, and to praise your holy name. Amen. A few years ago, I was uh, browsing, doing one of the things I love to do most, browsing a bookstore. It was actually a Barnes & Noble bookstore, and I noticed a book on the shelves that got my attention. It was a book by New York Times bestselling author John Eldridge, and that got my attention because he wrote the book Wild at Heart, which I'm pretty wild about. I like that book. I've used it with my men at my church. I've seen the videos. I like that book. I saw his name on the shelf and I immediately gravitated that, but that wasn't really what arrested my attention first. Because on the cover of that book, in bold letters, I saw the word holiness. And when I'm browsing Barnes and Noble bookstore, I don't always see uh, in the best-selling section uh, an area where the word holiness occurs. Now, this wasn't in the best uh, best-selling area, but it, you know, to be in Barnes and Noble and to be a best-selling author, it kind of had that that connotation to me. And so, being a best-selling New York Times writer, one I was familiar with, who is a wonderful writer and is able to uh, write in amazing ways, combined with the fact that holiness was in the title, I picked that book up, and the title was "The Utter Relief 
of holiness. The utter relief of holiness. It wasn't a big, huge seller, but I bought it. I picked it up and I read it cover to cover. The first thing I always do when I pick up a book is read the jacket before I buy it. And this is what the jacket said on the back. Listen to this. It may seem strange at first because I don't believe most folks think of holiness as an utter relief. Hard, perhaps. Boring, if we're honest. Necessary like flossing. A level of spirituality we attain to, might attain to one day. But a relief? Look at it this way. Ask the anorexic girl how she would feel if she simply no longer struggled with food, diet, and exercise, if she simply never even gave it another thought. Ask the man consumed with jealousy how he would feel if he woke up one day to discover that all he once felt jealous over was simply gone. Ask the raging person what it would be like to be free of rage or the alcoholic what it would be like to be completely free from addiction. Then he says, take the things you have most struggled with spiritually and ask yourself, what would it be like if I never even struggled with this again? And then he said, it would be an absolute utter relief, the relief of holiness. I read the book, wasn't selling. I looked it up and uh, did some background on it. I, didn't, I don't believe that John Eldridge comes from our theological circles. When I read the book, I felt as though he discovered this truth that has the same scriptures and the same truths in it that we hold, but I don't believe that he, he seemed to have derived those from the Bible in his own personal hunger. There's not a single reference to tradition, to John Wesley, to any denominational reference at all. But the title, the publisher said, the title was not selling. They said that, frankly, in their research, the word holiness does not sell. Not only in our culture, sadly, it does not sell in the church. It doesn't sell at evangelical bookstores. And so they withdrew the book and they remarketed it and changed the title, Free to Live. Free to Live. And I suppose it sold better. I haven't seen the research on that. But in the pages of this book, John Eldridge, this is, the, this is John Eldridge, not the Bible, just introduction here, but uh, John Eldridge diagnosed his own marketing problem in the book, in the opening pages. He said this, it seems that Christians believe they're called to a cluster of activities that include church attendance, Bible study, and prayer, giving, and concern for justice, and attending retreats. But what are these things supposed to do for us? Are these clusters of activities the end of it? Is that what Christianity is about? Or are these things really intended to point us beyond those things to something else that is so much more life-giving than that? And here the evangelical world 
is offering a variety of things and he says, in our bookstores, that's amazing, he anticipated his own problem, why his book didn't sell. He said, in our bookstores, he says, the evangelical world is offering various sideshows. Of course, most Christian bookstores are going out because a long time ago, uh, the online uh, buying has changed the dynamic, but it's still the, the case that even where they exist. He said there are sideshows, there are camps, there are tribes that build their ministry around these ideas. And the first one he identifies is therapeutic Christianity. The, the goal of this movement seems to be to get your life working better so it addresses marriage, parenting, anxiety, loneliness, weight problems, and the like. The books are, shelves are full of these in evangelical bookstores. And I want to hasten to say that, yes, God cares about every single one of those things, and God wants to help us with our marriages and our relationships and our children, and even our weight, I have to say, is my own weight uh, issue is a problem for me. And yes, God does help us with those things. But is that the core reason why we're here? Righteousness Christianity, the second uh, tribe or the second uh, sideshow, very popular in circles that spend a lot of time on the loss of morality and the culture and coming judgment, and, and they're quick to call out sin and insist on better behavior, oftentimes with, through political action, trying to get the laws to somehow conform to what the world, is, as we prefer it to be, instead of the way it is, and, and, and they're, they're somehow... Uh, uh, on a crusade all the time about those issues. Are we concerned about those issues? We're absolutely concerned about those issues. Are we concerned about the moral deterioration in our culture? We absolutely are. But is this central and core to who we are? Then he says the doctrine or truth Christianity is the third group. These folks are always preaching and teaching about heretics. They're always talking about how their position is the right one and somebody else's is the wrong one. Their goal seems to be to correct everybody else and to make sure that doctrinal correctness is there. And are we concerned about doctrinal correctness? You are certain we do. We care deeply about that. But as we've heard this week, that, that it's possible, according to 1 Corinthians 13, to be absolutely doctrinally correct and to have the right thoughts and the right images and the understanding, but to be lacking something like love, which is Christ's likeness, and become a person who is nothing more than that annoying bell out there that I'm not going to miss uh, next week. <laughs> that bell, that bell drives me crazy, even though I know it serves a purpose. And then there is the latest flavor of the month in my own tribe. It's maybe not the latest flavor of the month in your tribe. You may have been doing this for 50 years. The Church of the Nazarene oftentimes lags behind 20, 40, 50 years of everybody else. And the flavor of the month in our tribe is justice Christianity. Concern with intervening social causes and human trafficking and the environment and women's rights and on and on. And does God care about those things? I am convinced he cares deeply about those things. But is that all there is to Christianity? Is that the core reason why we're here? Are we really just a religious version of the Peace Corps? Or somehow we're, we're a recreational center with a religious twist? What is it that God is really after? What is the gospel supposed to do? And let's take a look at this passage now. And let's look at just the mountain peaks because you should know that this passage 
is a tremendous passage that I never understood. I don't know that I fully understand it now, but I never even grasped the foundational structure of this passage. I read it for years until about two weeks ago, and when I was reading it, it hit me like, a, how in the world have I missed this? All of these, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I didn't know this passage is a doxology. It's a doxology. It's a song. And if you'll look in this passage, you'll see it. You know what a doxology is, don't you? Let's sing the doxology we know. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Doesn't that just lift your spirit to pray that? That is, to sing that, that's praise to God. It's a doxology. Now look at this passage with me and see how it begins in, in the beginning of verse 3 as a praise to God. And if you'll look, and I have to hurry this morning, but if you will look, you will see this is not only doxological, it is Trinitarian. In verse 6, it is to the praise of his glory, the Father is the, the active agent. In verse 12, to the praise of his glory, the Son is the focal point. In verse 14, it says, to the praise of his glory, it is the Holy Spirit that's involved. All three Godhead, parts of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to the glory of God, Trinitarian, doxological, it is a song of praise. And it is a celebration. And what is it that we're praising God for? We are praising God, the Father, for his plan for us in verse 4, where it says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's the plan of the Father. It's a, just a part of it. There's more there, but I, I'm pausing there for emphasis in time. I wouldn't be too concerned about the term predestined. It does not mean predetermined. It means this is God's foreordained intention and plan for every single person born in the world, that whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This means that God's plan is for us to be holy and blameless in his sight, in conformity, and in participation with his nature. It's his intention. It is another way of saying you and I were created to live this way. This is God's intention. And when we live as God intends for us to live in cooperation with God, we are living in concert with the very fabric of creation itself the way God intended for us to live originally. The ancient church father Tertullian said the soul is naturally Christian. Of course, we're no longer just naturally anything because we've been marred by sin, but the way the soul was created, as was mentioned uh, uh, in our Bible study, this God-shaped whole, this, this life, every cell and every fiber of our being, all of creation was made for God and for his glory. 
E. Stanley Jones said, Christ-like Christianity is really just super sanity. The more you live the way God wants you to, the healthier your life will be, the more fulfilled it will be. It is the way God intended for us to live. We discover the natural way uh, that God created for us and intention for us is uh, the holy way. We were born for this. Your eye, your eye was made to see light and beauty. Your ear was created to hear music that uh, blesses the soul. Your heart was created to love God and to love other people. Any other way of functioning in those realities is an, is an adulteration. It's a distortion. It's like sand in the eyes. Or something wrong in the ears. A few years ago, my hearing was going away. I said, what? A lot. Way too much. Finally, when I got tested, I said, you're losing your hearing. I said, oh my, what, what's the problem? They said, you have a disease, and this disease is calcifying the inner ear bones in your ear. And uh, if that continues, your, ear, your bones can't, can't vibrate, they can't conduct sound. And without the ability to vibrate and conduct sound, your hearing will be extremely limited. You'll have tremendous loss of hearing. It's not nerve damage, it is something else. Something's growing on the inside, needs to be taken out. I said, what do I do? How, how can I see? Is there a, any answer? He said, yeah, we can do surgery. We'll take those bones out and we'll put in steel, stainless steel prosthetic bones in. And when, when the sound comes, they'll vibrate the way your bones should and you'll be able to hear. And I had both ears done and man, I'm hearing things I never wanted to hear. Sometimes I want to plug them up, you know, it's just, I didn't realize all the things I was hearing out there. Well, well, it, it, our ears were made to hear. And, and, and any other way of living is like something growing, something adhering to it that keeps it from hearing the beautiful music. Our hearts were made for love. So when we're bitter or angry and, and, and that anger becomes sin and we're holding grudges, it's more destructive to us than it is anybody else. It, 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 it destroys the way God intended for it to be. It's, holding a grudge is kind of like drinking poison and thinking it's gonna hurt somebody else when in reality, the only person that hurts is me. There's created within us a longing to live life in the good and the holy. It's been marred by sin, of course. But when we hear the voice of Jesus calling us to a higher and better way, there is something inside of us that resonates and we begin to realize the parable of the prodigal son is a parable that applies to all of us in so many ways. We feel our hearts drawn to home. We feel as though we're going to the way we were supposed to be. We feel ourselves drawn into the affection of our Father. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. The will of God fed him and nurtured him and strengthened him and sustained him. It was his life. It was his reason for living and being here on earth. It was his purpose. And if I'm living as a disciple of Jesus, my meat also is to do his will. And my poison is to insist on my own. And when I do it my way instead of his way, I find myself disrupting things and shutting down opportunities and closing myself off. We were born for God. 
And it is God's plan to the praise of his glory. We were created to be holy and blameless. But it doesn't, uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that creation isn't as it should be. Sin has marred and changed things. And so here's another reason to praise the Lord. Not only is it God's original plan, but God has made provision for us to become holy and blameless, even in a sin-sick world. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And it says in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment. This is another reason to praise the Lord. God is redeeming and restoring and transforming us into his image and all of creation with it. His blood cleanses from all sin. It's like if my eye was made for light, it washes the, 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 the soil and, the, and the, the things that are hurting my vision, the, 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 the thing that's obstructing me, it washes it out of my eyes so I can see. It takes that calcification out of my ears so I can begin to hear the music and the praise of God and I can hear and understand the Holy Spirit. It washes my heart of the poison of hatred and bitterness and enables me to love God with the love, love and love others with the love of Jesus. And it's provided for us in time in the person of Jesus. Holiness is not only God's plan before the world began in the primordial vision of God, but it is also God's plan in time for us through the atoning work of Jesus. After all, atonement means at one and in that at one we become drawn into him and his nature. And so it says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate to make the people holy through his own blood. I'm amazed how people who are Christians and seemingly have a vital faith are so anxious to argue about whether the world was created in 24 uh, our seven-day increments or not. I'm not telling you whether it was or wasn't. Not interesting debate. I'm just bringing that up there. I'm just saying some people really want to, to argue about that cause. And the very ones many times that want to argue about that are the same ones when you bring up the matter of holiness, they would say, well, it can happen in a moment. It has to happen in a long process over time, and you'll never get there. I'm thinking to myself, how is it that we can defend God's ability to speak the word and create worlds and planets and spin Jupiter into space, and he can do it just like that, but somehow we believe that God, almighty maker of heaven and earth, is not strong enough to cleanse our hearts in a moment of faith. Why can it happen? in a moment? It can happen in a moment because God is God and he creates and recreates us and it can happen in a moment because it comes by faith through Christ. Now it's improvable. It's not a perfection that means we're flawless. Now we, we're going to grow, but it does something for us in a moment of time that is wonderful and cleansing and enabling. And then finally, to the praise of his glory, we have the third person of the Trinity, a part of the plan and a part of the provision, the atonement, God's promise for us in the Holy Spirit in verse 13, where it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This, this, is, not, this is not judgment here. This is, this is what we were feeling after run saying, this is glory to God. There is a Holy Spirit who has been given to us that's a part of this plan. And this Holy Spirit takes what Jesus did for us on Calvary and he actualizes it and applies it and expands it and moves into our inner being and takes Christ and brings him into the center of our lives. And he says, you were sealed. This may mean a lot of things to you, but I sold my house not long ago. And I had had it on the market for a long time. And, and I was so relieved to sell it. And I had to sign lots of papers. Some of those papers, they didn't believe me. They said, you got to have a notary. And this notary's got to put a seal on there. And that notary seal guarantees the authenticity. Who's signing this document? Who owns this property? Everything about it. It's ownership. It's authenticity. It's a guarantee. He says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit in that way. He's going to stamp his authentic presence and self on that uh, person. And he's going to say, this is authentic. You know what young people want today? Young people, as I understand, as I read about it and talk to my own kids, they're not interested in, the, in all the pizzazz and the show we did in the 80s, 90s. They want authenticity. They want real. They don't want us to look like we're spontaneous, but really it's all planned spontaneity. It's not really spontaneous. It's just kind of a show of spontaneity. What they want is authenticity. What the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and he makes authentic in our being who we are in Christ and he enables us to live for him. And this deposit, man, when they wrote a check out and deposited on my house, I was so glad. You know what that meant? They were in. You know what that meant? More was to come. When the Holy Spirit is deposited in your heart and mine, it is the first installment of many more gifts, many more opportunities. I mean, it just simply means there's a whole lot more coming. And I'm saying praise the Lord for all that he's done and all he is yet to do for us. It will not sell to put holiness on the cover, they say. But I want to tell you something, according to the Word of God, it works. It is God's plan, it is His provision, it is His promise and guarantee in the Holy Spirit. And people are discovering it everywhere, whether they're in our movement or not, because any person who's really hungry for God, a real Christian, ought to want this more than anything else. I don't know what there'd be to debate to have all of God we can have and have Him on the throne of our lives. I was in a service not long ago, well, quite a few years ago now, I guess. Uh, I was in a service. It was an interdenominational service. I wasn't expecting what happened. An Episcopal bishop got up to give his testimony. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, pardons to any Episcopalians out there, but I never thought of Episcopalian church being white, hot, holiness people. Uh, I just didn't think of them in that way. But here's this Episcopal bishop up there. I remember his name, last name was Cox. And he stood up there and he said this. In my ministry, I knew that the Lord was with me and loved me. In my ministry, God was using me. I had risen to the level of bishop. He said, people looked to me for spiritual guidance and direction. I was finding my ministry satisfying in many ways. 
He said, but there was something in my spirit that was out of sync with God and I didn't even know how to put my finger on it. It's just that sometimes God would call upon me in certain ways and there was something out of sync in my spirit that wanted to resist that and he went on to describe that. He talked about his struggle. One day he got alone with God in prayer. He said, Lord, I don't understand it. I know you love me. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm called to ministry. I know you're using me in many ways. But what is this? that I feel out of harmony in some respect at some deep level with you. God began to talk to him about the unmet heat of his heart and surrendering himself in a comprehensive and thoroughgoing way in a way that he had not previously understood, surrendering all, and he said this. This is the part I wanted you to get. He said, I simply raised my hands to heaven in prayer like this, and I asked the Lord, to supply what was lacking, what was keeping me out of sync, what it was that I needed. And he said, when I raised my hands to heaven and was open and absolutely surrendered to the Lord, he said, God who is spirit made a funnel through my arms and flowed down through that funnel and came into my mind and my heart and my being and filled me to overflow. It was as simple as surrender and faith and saying, God, fill me. And I've never been the same since. This camp meeting is dedicated to that truth. You're dedicated to that truth. I'd like for us to stand together and think about the praise of his glory. Stand with me if you would, and we're going to pray in just a moment. There may be somebody that would like to pray at the altar. It's not really my objective this morning, although it's always open. But when Ron comes and leads us in, in a song, I don't know what it's going to be. Ron is going to lead us in a song. This is the last service of camp meeting. If you feel in some way that you would like to help have the Lord come and do something that bring you completely in sync with him, if you feel like you are in sync with him, but you just want more, you want to, you've had a first installment, but you want the overflow, you want more, then I would encourage you while we sing, why don't you form a funnel today? No one's going to think you're crazy. No one's going to think you're something uh, radical. What we're thinking is, Lord, I'm forming a funnel now, and I just want to say to you, God, come down through that funnel and put my mind and my heart and my will and my life fully in sync with yours, that I may be to the praise of your glory, to the praise of your glory. Fill me doesn't mean you've never been filled. I'm just saying you got a need today. Let's sing together. Let's make a funnel. Let's make a pact with the Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me now. Spirit of the
sing it with me again? Spirit of God. As we prepare for the conclusion of Camp Psyker 2018, the last few years our tradition has been to simply make a circle around the interior. We will do so now. I invite you to go ahead and begin to move. I will pray a prayer of blessing upon us. Then I'm going to invite Ron to come and he will lead us in the doxology. That doxology will be our conclusion. For those of you who were here on the first Thursday night, we began camp with the doxology and we want to end in the same way. So I simply ask you to go ahead and as you are, make that circle. I will pray the final prayer and then invite Ron to come and lead us in the doxology. Let us pray. Lord, how could we ever thank you enough how could we ever thank you enough for every blessing, for every anointing, for every filling, for every moment of these last 10 days. Lord, at moments like the ones we've experienced, that we look back on years that go by and say that was the moment that was the time when God spoke to me in such an incredible awesome way that my life was never the same my heart was stirred my mind was moved and quickened and the Holy Spirit called me to respond so that's been the theme of this camp this past year and we give you thanks for it Lord, we know that we will never pass this way again just as we are now. There will be some of us who, for various reasons, 
will not be able to be here next year. Some because of the realities of life, some because they have moved on to an eternal home not made with hands. Father, in the meantime, between now and then, watch over us. Let your spirit move in our midst as we go from these grounds today. And Lord, this is our prayer, that you would grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power through your spirit, Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Lord, we pray that we would know the love of Christ who surpasses knowledge, so that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. And now, my dear Syker family, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Camp Syker, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>